Welcome to 2D Pokey. You know what? Screw it, man. I am I'm so pissed off about last weekend. About the Georgia Tech game, Robbie. I'm sure you share my thoughts. I can't even get through the intro right now. Just skip the intro and well, <laughs> I think that's well worth it. There was a lot on the table. There's a lot we left on the table, I think is probably even a better way to put it. Uh it was a crazy day in college football in general and vt got caught up in the mess losing to georgia tech number two clemson three michigan four washington texas a&m auburn unc baylor all these ranked teams went down it was a wild wild saturday in college football not everyone was at home in such a big spot like we were but man oh man robbie try to give us a cheers cheer me up a little bit I will do my best, I guess. My cheers, all I could come up with, and I spent a lot of time thinking what the heck I would cheers to. Everything that we wanted is still on the table in terms of win-loss record, the Coastal, starting to turn this team around. It feels it feels really painful, and I believe me, I feel the pain as well, but that's... I think because we put ourselves in a position at least this season for it to be painful. I know that's a weird positive spin to put on it, but it was a fair point. I think at Absolute Hokie or somebody on Twitter was mentioning that to me and we had a quick back and forth about it, but at least we're in the position to have a letdown versus the whole season being a letdown uh, like it has been the past few years. And everything that we want to accomplish, we still can. It's just going to end up being one of those what could have been seasons. If you honestly, if you get through that Syracuse game and you get through that Georgia Tech game, and not I'm not saying in any way that we should have won either because we played bad in both of them, then you're looking at a playoff spot uh, potentially. And but you know we knew that wasn't going to happen this season. At least most of us had no expectation of that happening. So everything that we hope to accomplish this year, whether it was wins, losses, otherwise making the coast or the ACC championship, it's still in front of us. So how about cheers to that? Cheers to that lipstick on a pig. <clears throat> what made it worse for me is that right before the game, we got the news that their starting quarterback, Justin Thomas, wasn't going to play. Uh, and Dietrich Mills, the day after we recorded last week, they're starting – running back and leading rusher, he wasn't going to play because he got suspended. And they had their center was out. I think their right tackle was out. Like you, you saw this right before the game, and you're like, oh, man, at home game, all these players are out for Georgia Tech. Like this is going to be this is going to be no sweat. And from the opening kickoff, <laughs> there was sweat, and there was blood, and there was tears. <laughs> right from the beginning. After the Syracuse or when the Syracuse game started to go downhill, I started to freak out because the team just didn't look good. And what ended up happening? We just kept not looking good. And right off the bat on the GT game, I knew it was going bad. And people again were posting and saying stuff. You know, be patient. It's early in the game. Stop freaking out. And they happen to be wrong again. The fact is, is that this team comes out and thus far. What you see in the first half is generally what you're going to get for the full game. So it wasn't a surprise to me when we ended up taking taking the big L here. 
there is some definite truth to that. If you look at the first half of Tennessee, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech, they they resemble each other in one way or another. We got tw- down twenty to nothing in that first half due to a, a comedy of errors. I'm not going to go through them all right at the moment. We had a slight glimmer of hope in the second half with a fumble recovery of our own and a touchdown to Isaiah Ford in which he passed Jared Boykin, the all-time receptions leader in Virginia Tech history. And it it was a little bit bittersweet in the way the game went, but he did pass Boykin and kudos to him, another TD. But that hope that we had when it was 20-7 to was quickly dashed by Evan's second interception on what looked like a promising drive. And then Ford dropped a fourth down pass on the next drive. That would have given us a first down. Georgia Tech ended up getting a field goal, went up 23-7. to Then we had a, a fumble by Bucky Hodges on the following drive. TD to Marcus Marshall, 30-7, and it was ball game. We scored a couple garbage time points, but the final score was 30-20, to and it really wasn't that close. It wasn't that close at all. Just so, <laughs> it's just so many mistakes, man. I mean, I've... I've got my negatives. I've got my positives written down. And the positives line is very short. But the mistakes was I kept it like in a second category. And, you know, you can call making uh, an error in coverage a mistake. But I think we know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the egregious errors that are so easily avoidable. Like the opening kickoff fumble by Derwan Green. The bad hold on the field goal attempt that was ultimately blocked. The interception on a terrible throw by Evans in the end zone. The penalty on third and 11 that extended Georgia Tech's drive soon after they got a long touchdown. A bad snap that Evans recovered on the two-yard line, but set up the last TD of the first half with a poor punt by us. The second interception by Evans. The drop by Ford on fourth down that I mentioned. And, of course, the Bucky fumble to finish it off. I mean, that is a laundry list of errors. It's unbelievable the most unexpected of which which you know he can't be perfect but i don't expect to see from him just because i hold him in such high regard was the drop on fourth down you go to your safety valve in isaiah ford and the guy has been such a superstar for us he's so clutch and then you have that happen you know, that and probably the one behind that, because now you're at a time that it's critical and you have to perform, was the fumble by Bucky Hodges. Not putting the second hand on the ball and trying to use, in the best way I could put it, because I watched the play a number of times, we all had to because they, you know, did replay on it 35 times, was he tried to use his strength to continue moving forward Instead of doing what needed to be done at that time, and especially the way the game was going, which is protecting the football, get your second hand, you know, your other arm on the ball, and no matter what, protect it. And he didn't. And that was in my mind when it was, it was already in my mind a little bit over, but that's when it just went out the window. And that was. A fumble by the narrowest of margins. Like you said, it was reviewed so many times. I'm still not sure, entirely sure it's a fumble, but it was on the score sheet. And let's just get into some of the other things that went wrong. I mean, the D played too much in the first quarter. And that, I think, was a story and the story 
that led Georgia Tech to getting all those touchdowns later in the game because our D was so tired from that. It was 11 and a half minutes to 3 minutes and 30 seconds time of possession advantage in the first quarter. And it was only 6 nothing after that quarter, but it, it led to everything else because later at the end of the half when they scored that touchdown, that was totally because our defense was wiped out. Yeah, they were gassed and – Another thing that I was commenting on during the game, it's reminiscent of what happened in the Navy-Notre Dame game. The fact is that is that the triple option is meant to do you know, many things. One, keep things simple. Two, keep open um, what you can do and keep the defense uh, having to cover everybody. They're not allowed to kind of sell out on any individual on the offensive side. But three, it tires you out. It controls the football. As long as you're not making fumbles, you can stay on the field for a long period of time. And like I said, in in that Notre Dame-Navy game, Notre Dame got the ball six times. And that's what I commented on right in that first quarter is this is what the triple option will do to you. The defense is getting gassed, and we're not even a quarter into the game. And it set up so much that happened later on in in the second quarter and i think it even had influence as, as far in into into the second half of the game yeah there's no doubt i mean once once you're on the field for 22 minutes in the first half i mean for some of our games that's been an entire game of defensive time on the field so they they instantly put themselves in a hole through the first 15 minutes and i would say this i'd say that our defense while they struggled in this game, they played pretty well early on when they were fresh. And the offense did them no favors. Four turnovers. We had one of our own, but we gave it up four times. Like, you're not going to win any football game giving it up four times. You're just It's just not going to happen. And if you do, it's a total anomaly. Yeah. If you look at what has happened in our three losses – What's been the consistent theme? And in our wins when we route people and the games that we've played well, we've protected the football, which was just so surprising in, in this game that when things don't go our way and, and they start going wrong, I feel like the only message that should be going when you have the first fumble or you have the first interception, the message that should be coming from Fuente to everybody on that sideline is forget about it. Don't. Protect the football from here on out because when we get it gets out of hand, whether it's fumbles, interceptions, just turnovers in general, we 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 don't stand a chance. Our team is not accustomed to being in that position. We looked abysmal in in some of those instances, and a lot of them were avoidable. I think three of those were easily avoidable, and the fourth was the long pass by Gerard Evans to the end zone, which he's going to make a bad pass every once in a while. It looked like you know that could go either way. It looked like maybe the wide receivers should have been a little deeper on the route, but I think he probably overthrew it. So at least three of those were easily avoidable and changed the landscape of this game. We are not in a position that we can make those types of mistakes with this offense and think that we have a chance to come out and win. No, and and going on with that Gerard Evans point, I think it's safe to say this was his worst game as a Hokie. 
you could say maybe the the seven for seventeen in the uh, Hurricane Matthew was worse, but this was really the worst game because there it wasn't a torrential downpour. It was beautiful weather. He had a forty nine point five QBR, and let's be honest, all the stats that he had would have been far worse without the the garbage time at the end when he threw two TD passes. Yeah, two interceptions. He had two in the whole year before he came in, and he had two in this game. Yeah, turnovers were the name of the game. He had, a, I think, 71% completion percentage. A lot of that became because of garbage time. I thought it was a... This was not a good Georgia Tech defense. They were... The announcers rubbed it into our face even more, talking about how they were one of the worst third-down defenses in the entire nation. And our our scheme just looked different, and... It happened a little bit in the Georgia or the Duke game. It happened a lot here where things our scheme just looked different. And the 78% of the pass attempts were less than 10 yards. Going into this game on the season, 48% of those pass attempts were less than 10 yards. That is a huge swing in the way that we're playing against especially a not very good defense. Only 7% of passes went beyond 20 yards. 22% of them were beyond 20 yards going into this game. Obviously, the pit pulls that pit game pulls that up, but not that material. That's on the, on the full season leading up to the game. We didn't complete a single pass longer than 20 yards and only attempted, I think, three in the, in the whole game based on my review of kind of, you know, pass distance. That is incredible, and the overall air distance on, on, on his passes was half of what it's been all season. It was a completely different scheme than we've shown all season when Gerard Evans was throwing the ball, which leads me to just speculation about what we saw going into this game or what the game plan was or or what's going on with Gerard. Maybe it's just his, his confidence level is down a little bit right now, and we were trying to cater to that. Well, I guess I got a couple things to say to that. One, I find that interesting. And as we knew from the pit game, Fuente came up with a game plan for that pit game, uh, especially late, that he was like, screw it. I'm going to throw deep virtually every play. And and he mixed some other things in there. But once he realized we couldn't run, he made a game plan to do this. And in this game, early on, Evans was really struggling. He, he, th- he played worse in the first half than in the second half. And Fuente did an interesting thing at the end of the first half, I thought, where he threw two passes down the middle to Cam Phillips, I believe, uh, and easy completions for Gerard Evans to a wide-open receiver that Georgia Tech was playing way off. You know, we weren't going to score or do anything at the end of the half. But I think that went a long way into why Evans was able to complete more passes in the second half. And so maybe, maybe Fuente's idea was, listen, he's struggling real bad. We're, we're just not going to go down the field anymore for the rest of this game and just try to complete things underneath. And then, you know, it got out of hand, you know, midway, you know, at the end of the third quarter and we weren't going to win. But I think that he comes up with an idea of an adjusting and he just goes with it. And that's probably why we didn't see them going down the field. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it was probably also because we gave up five sacks. And it should have been six because that one, Gerard Evans escaped and he got it past the line of scrimmage, so it wasn't technically a sack, even though he had felt like eight guys that were about to take him down. Five sacks, Georgia Tech only had eight going into this game. 
the offensive line <laughs> did not protect, and Georgia Tech, granted, they had a chip on their shoulder because of how abysmal they had been playing in the games up to that, but that is inexcusable in terms of a stat line that... You know they didn't double, but they nearly doubled the stack the sack count for. Well, some of those, yes, it was bad. Like you said, eight sacks before coming in this game, five sacks in the game. But some of those came also at the end when we're dropping back every play because we're down by three to four scores. So it, all of it gets skewed a little. But the offensive line did not play well in this game whether it was attempting to run or some of the protection while Gerard was dropping back, it it hasn't looked good. And we were already complaining about the lack of an inside running game and some of the blocking on the outside from the skill position players, in addition to the offensive linemen uh, on the next level. And it, it just strengthens those fears and against a more powerful defensive line, especially an in an inside presence, like that of Notre Dame, it could be a real problem, and even against UVA, like who's shown some ability on defense, it could be a problem. I couldn't agree more. And the, you know, I guess to to take it even at a higher level of why this is happening is people are realizing that we're a one dimensional team right now. That outside of Gerard Evans being able to run the ball, we we do not have a run game right now. That is. It may be halfway decent at times, and there's been a couple games that it's been okay. But right now, people are selling out against the pass, and why wouldn't you? That's exactly what you should be doing against against this offense that we're putting on the field. We, we have not established a run game outside of Evans. He happens to be our leading rusher almost in every game. I know. I know, man. And I want to do our overall observations. Like you said, let's take this to a little, a slightly higher level before I'm going to do the positives. Cause there's, I had one and a half. We'll do those right before we do our beer break. It's one and a half My more than observation, me. <laughs> <laughs> our overall observation for me, GT did not win this game. We lost it. We outgained them. 437 to 343. We out first down them 25 to 15. And, and some of that was, you know, at the end, but whatever. We we played well on offense when we weren't fumbling all over ourselves and, and making mistakes. And, and there was just too many errors. Syracuse, they beat us. George, against Georgia Tech, we beat ourselves. I, I think that's a fair observation. You can't lay an egg like this at home in such a big spot. You have a chance to clinch the Coastal and just go on cruise control for the rest of the season, and you blow it, and you blow it in amazing fashion in front of a full crowd and tons of recruits. And, oh, man, it, I just it's hard to believe they played this bad. And they, they played tight early. They played scared, especially Evans. I mean – and it was evident by the mistakes. And we dug a hole that was too big to come out of. And especially when you continue to, you know, make those mistakes in the second half. It was just a lack of effort, urgency, leadership, whatever you want to call it. It was just a lack of everything. It just signals, you know, a concern that has been shown in games that we've had. We're starting slow. I mean, 
I haven't gone back and looked. I'll wager a guess that I would probably be right here. Maybe somebody will email us and tell me I'm wrong. But it feels like every first drive that we have lately is a three and out. Every single time. And we're not gaining any momentum early. Granted, in that fourth quarter, in the second half, that, that you could call it garbage time. Say Georgia Tech was just playing kind of a quasi-prevent but when Evan get, Evans gets on a roll, he had one, at one point five, I think, completions in a row during one of their drives. He is, is he is a momentum passer, and uh, when he loses it, or early on when he loses it, then things just go downhill really quickly. And I understand the intent to get a few kind of short yardage outs or, you know, just a couple passes to warm him up early on in the game. And I'm not going to doubt Fuente and why we do that. But the fact is, is that if he doesn't catch momentum early on, things go downhill pretty quickly. And against certain, on certain nights, that's going to be fine because in the second quarter, he's going to complete a few passes, the momentum's going to pick up, and then everything's going to be good. But what happens when a couple more bad things happen? What happens when you fumble the ball? What happens, you know, when he he throws his interception and it's only his third on the year? Things just kind of go downhill. But when he's on his game and we have the momentum and we have the defense on his heels, he's, you know, the, this offense is top 10 in the nation when the momentum is in their favor. When it goes downhill, we are abysmal when and it takes a long time for it to come back. And it's something that I think we just have to recognize about what this is going to produce this year going into Notre Dame, going into UVA. And I, I'm not going to speculate beyond that because we got a couple big games ahead of us. And we got we got burnt by a backup quarterback. 300 yards were on the ground. 121 of those came from him. Not to be you know too surprising because it's the triple option, but... Once again, the stat of QBs, when they go for over 100 yards on the ground, we lose. And Bud Foster's probably not going to like that stat. He's already mentioned that he gets annoyed when the media brings it up. But until that stat is broken, over 100 yards on the ground for a QB, and we lose. And that's something that we need to find some way to, to get past and win a game when that, when that happens. Or just not do it. <laughs> because I think probably a lot of teams out there lose when a quarterback gives up gets a hundred yards rather, mm-hmm. and we just keep keep doing it to whether it's a passing quarterback who can scramble a little, whether it's an option quarterback like Matthew Jordan in this case who came in and played really well as a backup and he had a little bit of a tough time handling the ball, but for the most part he played really well for a guy who didn't know he was going to play until about thirty minutes before the game probably. And my only final thought just, is is going to be sorry, go that I, I, there the defense did not play great. We we all know that they, they did not play great, but this offense on that Georgia Tech defense of what they've shown this year and what other teams that have you know less less skill players than we have, less talented skill players, and less of a quarterback have put up more points on them than than we did is. Even with the defense playing bad, this was not a night 
that should have been dictated by whether Bud Foster shuts him down and keeps Georgia Tech less than 20 points. This should have been a game where Virginia Tech scores 40, and we don't feel good walking away, but it's a 40-30 to 30 game, and it was not. I'm with you 100%, man. And this will be the portion where I talk about Woody Barron and how excellent he's been this year. He was the only player out there I saw when Fuente called the whole team out to on the field at halftime. Woody was also right there, like, pointing to the field, like, saying, get out here. He had three tackles for loss in this game. He has 11 tackles for loss in the last four games, and he's on pace for 21 on the season, which would be a crazy amount. He is playing at an extremely high level. Him and Cam Phillips are the only two players I thought that deserved some props for this game. I agree. Well, we talked about this a little bit before we started, and we're going to get into Notre Dame in a minute. And this the game is is a little bit of a little bit meaningless for us in a lot of ways, but we got to preview it because that's what we do on this show. <laughs> Let's take a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So right now I am drinking, like we said, we're kind of in a weird setup right now. I'm out in, uh, in near San Diego, California for work. We always record. We don't miss any games, any episodes. That's our claim to fame, at least thus far. I'm drinking the 5150 IPA. It's uh, by Iron Fire Brewery Company. I was able to go out and grab... Some local beer, given them on the West Coast. Um, it's uh, it's a pretty good it's pretty good beer. It's out of Temecula, I think it is, California. And I had to look that up on a pronunciation, given how much I've been butchering cities this year, and I probably butchered that one. But I think I think it's right, California. It's like ninety five IBUs, and but it's only six and a half percent alcohol to volume. And I may have found the first IPA that overdid it a little bit on the hops just for the sake of the hops in the beer. And I, I drink a lot of IPAs. This one's a little bit over the top. It's it's good, and it has really good ratings as a as a beer. But for me, it's it's not it's not great. I would I would get it again if I was at a bar or something like that. But it's not something I would seek out and have have that often, but it's pretty cool because I don't know how often iron fire brewery, uh, or brewing is not that big. I think it's kind of small and local. So we got something on here for anybody that might listen to us on the West coast. I'm drinking something a little closer to home like you were last week. And it's the DC brow. Uh, and I'm having their, their IPA. It's called the corruption. I thought that was somewhat fitting with, uh, the election last week. And just the negative connotation of that word and the way the Georgia Tech game went. This corruption is really good. 6.5% alcohol. It's a very even IPA. I don't know if I had ever had it. I'd had their their pale ale, which is the public. I think I had had the Citizen, which is a, more of a Belgian style. But this this IPA by DC Brow, the corruption, is really, really good. I would I would recommend it. Yeah, there's actually on, and I don't want to take away from that, and we're going to have to get it on here. On the Wings of Armageddon is another DC Brow Brewing Company. 
We're not drinking it right now. But if you get a chance to get your hands on one of those, it's a, I believe, a double IPA that I've had at a few places in D.C. I think they do some cans of it. You can find it places. That's another one of D.C. Browse beers that is really, really good. Well, we don't have too much time to sulk about the Georgia Tech game. We do have another football game this weekend, and it's kind of a big one, one that you and I have both been anticipating for a while. We're both going to the game at Notre Dame this upcoming weekend. I'm really pumped about that experience in general. I've been to one other game in South Bend. I don't think you've been out there, but it's a little bit of shame because we thought this was going to mean a lot more at this point in the season than it does. Yeah, I feel... I, I, and I don't want to be continue to harp on any negativity coming off a, a loss, but I was so excited to go to Touchdown Jesus, hit South Bend, get the experience, see everybody get riled up, hopefully have a good hokey presence there, because I think we all felt like this was going to be, whether you thought 7-5, and 8-4, and 9-3, that this would be a pretty decent season, and it has been, and unfortunately... The other side has not held up their side of the bargain with losses against Duke. And I I guess I go into it the same way you you think is, you know, the game is, is kind of meaningless outside of riding the ship. It means a lot. You always want to get a W. We all know that. We want to improve our record. We want to improve, you know, our national presence. So the win is important. But I'm going into it with very little emotion and looking to actually enjoy a VT game for once this season, just kind of given what it is, you know, just given go in and experience it as a fan that doesn't do a podcast every single week and talk about the Hokies constantly and look up stats every day. So this I'm going to treat as a week to actually enjoy Hokie football, recognizing that everything that we want is still on the table and kind of go in and enjoy it probably like a lot of other people do out there. I just happen to take things too seriously sometimes. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I, I kind of want to watch this game as if I was like my mother or something, like someone who really could give a crap. Like they're there for the tailgating and the plays and the crowd and just the whole experience and just to enjoy it because it doesn't mean anything for Virginia Tech. It means something maybe down the road where you can say, hey, remember that time we went to Notre Dame and won? That was awesome. But the way this season will be viewed ultimately is only based on whether we beat UVA. Because if we lose to UVA, this is a terrible season, whether it's 7-5 and five or 8-4. and four. If we beat UVA, it's a great season if we're 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three. And maybe great's a stretch at 8-4, and four, but... Beating UVA and winning the Coastal, that's pretty great. And that is possible. So it's a shame that this game doesn't mean more. But like you said, riding the ship is important. Playing a team that is historically great in their house and potentially getting a win, that is important. Yeah. But the ultimate meaning of the season, it's not really there. Yeah, and the the interesting part is, with that perspective, the Irish need this win. This week and next week potentially gets them to bowl eligibility. So they need two wins coming into these two games. They have more riding on this game than we do, and it's senior day for them. So 
I, I, there should be a lot of energy from them. They should put up a tough matchup. They're playing better right now, a little bit better or a little bit more cohesive than they have been. I don't put any merit in the way that they started off the season, especially the way Michigan State has looked and the way things have kind of gone that way. So, And they're coming off of – they played a pretty good Army team. You know, you can say what you will about the academy schools, but they put up a tough fight, and this Army team is no joke, and they just slaughtered them. And that was a really good game for Notre Dame. So they come in with some momentum. This game means more than it does to us, and it'll be very interesting to see how Fuente and the coaching staff makes this important for this Virginia Tech team. Yeah, that's a very good point. A lot is on the line for them. They got their rival USC at the end of the year, which they're probably going to hand them their seventh loss anyway. But in a rivalry game, you know what you do, Robbie? Throw the records records. (laughs) So Notre Dame is coached by Brian Kelly. He's in his seventh year. He's 59 and 29 there, which is a 67% winning percentage, which is better than a lot of the recent previous coaches they've had. He even got them to that one national championship game, as we all know. This year, they are 4-6. and six. Their wins include Nevada, Syracuse, Miami, and that Army team they just crushed 44-6. to six. They haven't lost a game by more than one score this year. Their largest margin of defeat was eight points, and that was to Michigan State, who isn't very good. But nevertheless, they every game they've played, they've been competitive in. And if you look at their S&P ranking, they're 33rd. They're 42 in Sagarin, and it's pretty comparable to where we're at. We're 28th and 24th, respectively. And our strength of schedules are virtually identical in Sagarin. Now, we have a much better rec- – I mean, much better is tough, but 7-3 and three to 4-6, and six, I mean, that's, that's considerably better uh, with the same strength of schedule. But right now, Notre Dame's defense, I would say, is playing about as good as VT's is, and it's top 20-ish. And that's that's been a big storyline for them is the improvement of their defense since the firing of Brian Van Gorder. Right, and they lost a lot of their defensive talent last season. I mean, they had studs, a, a lot of studs on their team, and a bunch of people that went to the NFL <clears throat> off that defense. So people perennially think that you know they're going to be a good team they're always going to be able to reload but for every team outside of evidently Alabama and Ohio State teams are going to need rebuilding years and it seems like they have taken the early part of this season and rebuilt and reloaded and gotten people on the field and then with that firing since then things have been much improved at least on that side of the ball. So their defense, I want to get to, and I, I kind of want to talk about that later because I think it's going to be more in line with what we have to do in this game in order for the Hokies to win. But we should talk about their offense first and, and their quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser, who coming into the season with the way he played last year, there were some pretty high expectations. And obviously there was that quarterback battle with Malik Zaire that he ended up winning, and a lot of people thought he – you know, should have won even more easily than it was. But he ultimately became the starting quarterback. 
And if you look at their last two games, Notre Dame has scored on virtually every possession. I think there might have been like two or three possessions in, in their last two games against Army and Navy that they didn't score. And particularly Kaiser in the last three games, uh, Miami, Navy, and Army, he's just one interception during that stretch and has played extremely well. He's six foot four, 230 pounds, a 60% completion percentage, which could be better. But all the other numbers, 22 touchdowns, another seven touchdowns rushing. He's very even with Gerard Evans in terms of the stat lines. I thought I was almost looking at the same quarterback. It was weird. Yeah, they have the same. The only difference is I think they both, I, I believe Gerard Evans has 22 touchdowns as well, if I'm not mistaken, but he has four interceptions. That's the the real difference. But on the ground, they've been equally as productive. They They are very much the same. Given their strength of schedule, they've played very similar outside of Gerard Evans, with the exception of the last game, has protected the football a bit more than Deshaun Kaiser but people are really high on him, and you can say what you will about their season and it being a down year for Notre Dame, but Deshaun Kaiser is an excellent quarterback, and he has proven that. And he Malik Zaire is a very good quarterback as well, and he went into the, the season. Brian Kelly had that screwy thing early on where he said he was going to play both quarterbacks, which I think threw him for a loop in that first game. But he beat out Malik Zaire, who is, in his own right, a very good quarterback as well. Absolutely, man. And I think initially Kaiser might have been struggling due to the loss of Will Fuller, the incredible receiver that I believe now is playing for the Texans. And there's been a new receiver that's emerged, Aquinas St. Brown. He's a sophomore, six foot four, two oh five. And he has been incredibly productive. And you know when you lose a player like Fuller, your quarterback's probably going to take a hit. But St. Brown is – which is this? can we get past this name real quick? Because it's probably the most ridiculous name I've ever seen. It's hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> Equanimous St. Brown, the equation. Uh, 777 yards, uh, 777, eight touchdowns. And he's been not every bit as good as Fuller, but he's playing really, really well. And this is going to be a problem for our secondary. Yeah, it certainly will. Um, he is a excellent. If you listen to, you know, a lot of us listen to Solid Verbal. Um, Ty was very high on him going into the season, and he's performed up to snuff. Uh, he's been exceptional this year. You had Torrey Hunter Jr who was out for the last game after the big hit that he took, has been struggling. It's a question mark. I didn't check today to see if there's any updates. As of yesterday when I was going through it, it didn't it – didn't, it still I couldn't see whether he was going to be in the game. He was out against Army, but he was having a decent season for himself. And then Kevin Stefferson, I think he's also a pretty big threat for the wide re- in the wide receiving game for, for them – um, they they have they have talent. There's one thing they may not be able to put it all together right now, but the fact is that Notre Dame's always going to recruit well, and they're always going to have a pretty good wide receiving core. And you know, St. Brown. I'm not even going to go into Equinemus. St. Brown, the equation has been the leader of that group and going to be 
a big problem for our secondary. Yeah, they've got a lot of options for Kaiser to throw to. And they've been, as far as the touchdown distribution goes, you know, St. Brown has the eight TDs, but there's, you know, four or five other guys that have multiple touchdowns on this team receiving. And you mentioned the son of the famous baseball player, Torrey Hunter, Torrey Hunter Jr. And for our sake, I kind of hope he doesn't play. I didn't see an update on that either, but he was out for Army. Uh, Stefferson is the deep threat. I think he's got 19 and a half yards per reception. You got C.J. Sanders. He's a really interesting character. He just returned a kick for a touchdown against Army. That was his second kick return for a touchdown. And he's 14th nationally in kick return average. Now, he got replaced as the punt returner due to some special teams mistakes. And he's been limited with only six offensive touches in Syracuse. But the fans want him to get the ball more. And he's a dangerous player. I think his average, to your point, is about 27.5 yards per return which that's pretty impressive and incredible <laughs> and also dangerous and something that we have to, to look into. He also leads the team, I believe, in all-purpose yards, um, ground and catch so, and returns. So, yeah, he, he is definitely a name to watch, but their tight end is, may not be productive in terms of <laughs> how often he's getting the ball, but four TDs, Smythe? yeah, they're they're bringing him, bring him in there and just adds to how dangerous when Deshaun Kaiser and this wide receiving and receiving core are in sync can be to a defense. Now, I think what scares me the most, because I feel our secondary is ahead of our run defense right now, and I think that's an easy thing to say, especially if you factor in the fact that Kaiser can run. I'm worried about these running backs, Josh Adams and Terrian Folston. This is a dynamic duo. They're both 215-plus. Adams is the leading rusher. He's got 5.1 yards per attempt and three TDs rushing, another TD receiving. They use him out of the backfield a little bit. And Folston tacks on another 300 yards and two touchdowns. This is something we need to slow down. We need to slow down Kaiser, Adams, and Folston running the football, or we will have no shot in this game. 100% agree. The the key to this game is going to come, and I know we started off with Kaiser and the wide receivers, but that's probably because the most emphasis I would want to put on this game is containing the run. Josh Adams has been fantastic. Folsom has been awesome. The most interesting part of this is if you read a lot of the people that follow Notre Dame closely, they feel really high about third in command, which is Dexter Williams. And he hasn't gotten much this work this year at all in comparison to what people think he should be getting. So even their three deep is very strong. So if you get out there and you see somebody, you know, take a take a ding off the shin and has to sit out for a little bit, I wouldn't be feeling too solid because a lot of people feel really strongly about Dexter Williams as well and think that he should be getting more carries. So this is a very deep and very dangerous running back core. And when you add in what Deshaun Kaiser can do on the ground in the right spots, we have a task ahead of us in containing this run game. The reason the running game has been good this year is because their offensive line is very solid. At left tackle, they got Mike McGlinchey, who's an absolute beast. And on the offensive line, they've only allowed four and a, 4.9 tackles for loss per game, which is tied for 24th in the country. And in, with regard to sacks per game, they're 65th. So a little bit worse in the sacks department. 
but they're they're doing a good job of paving the way for these running backs, and that's the reason that we could be in for a day. Um, I'm hoping that because of how poorly some of our defensive line play has been the last two games, that just from the ebb and flow of things and regressing to the mean, that it will be better. But it scares me. It scares me very, very much. Agree. I couldn't agree more. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be an interesting matchup. And now that we're going to get into the defense, um, it's it's dangerous what they can do on offense. And we're we're going to have to play a lot better than we have in the last couple to have a shot here because this is an offense that when it's humming could put up, you know, 40 points on us. I, I don't see that as, you know, for some teams, I would say there's no chance for this team with the talent that they have and the talent level of these recruits that they've brought in, like Notre Dame always does. If they get everything humming and we're not on our game, this could get out of hand quickly. Yeah, they, they could they could drop 40 on you easy. If you get them on the wrong day and that thing is clicking, it, it could be... It could be ugly. Let's move over to the defense. And and the story with them, as we said at the top, was the dramatic improvement since the firing of their defensive coordinator. They lost to Duke at home the end of September. And since that point, they're only giving up 316 yards per game. And if you slotted that among the national averages, they'd be 14th nationally. And that would be just ahead of us because we're 15th in terms of the yards per game averages right now. They were giving up 450 yards per game prior to that. So it's a dramatic, dramatic improvement. And some of it is the younger players substantially improving their play. Uh, Maybe some of it is scheme. It's hard for me to say. I haven't watched every Notre Dame game. I've seen a few here and there. But from my friends that I talked to and my cousin who went there, you know, they say it's it's definitely a mixture of the two. And without firing Brian Van Gorder – this wouldn't have been possible. I think their defensive end is probably their weakest position on the defense. They are 88th in tackles for loss and 113th in sacks. So yet again this week, we're playing a team that doesn't get after the quarterback very well. Maybe that will change against us, but right now they've only had 13 sacks on the season. Their defensive tackles, on the other hand, are a point of strength. And it starts with Isaac Rochelle, seven tackles for loss, only one sack, but he's got nine QB hurries and 4.7 tackles per game, which is an extraordinary amount for a defensive tackle. Yeah, I. it was tough going through because they have – it's a mixed bag. You know, I, I think that their defensive line could cause, especially the way that we've been playing – could still cause us problems. I, I, you know, we never, we didn't go into the Georgia Tech game thinking that we were going to have issues there, but but we did. I, I'm very curious to see what happens with what most have characterized as a very very young and very very dangerous secondary between Dante Vaughn, Jalen Elliott, Tony Toy Pri, Troy Pride, and Julian Love, and. Julian Love has been playing exceptionally well from everything that I've kind of read, seen uh, as of late. These guys are really young, 
two years from now, a year from now, that's going to be an amazing secondary. There's there's not a lot of holes here in terms of talent, whether you want to look at what's happening on the defensive line, obviously on the linebacking core, which Notre Dame always puts out a pretty solid linebacking core, or in the secondary. The question is, is how much is it going to continue to mesh together? And if it happens at the right time against Virginia Tech, we could be in in deep trouble. I'll try to sum my thoughts up quickly on this defense. And I think they're very strong inside at defensive tackle with Rochelle, who I mentioned, Jaron Jones, and Jerry Tillery. I, I think they got the three guys that can all play defensive tackle there that are really good. The ends are weak. Their linebacker position with Morgan and Anwalu, very strong. I mean, Anwalu does it in every aspect of the game, whether it's tackles for loss, just making tackles, period. Five pass breakups on the season, which is second on the team. Um, and they've got other linebackers, Martini and Coney, who have also been big contributors. That linebacker position is very strong. And the young secondary, I'm – everyone's giving them a lot of love right now, but can I just say that they've just played two option teams in a row? So maybe, maybe we can just cool the jets on how much this young freshman secondary has improved because they just played army and Navy. So I understand that they're playing better, but let's talk about the quarterbacks they face. Like who's the best quarterback they faced? Was it that's Daniel Jones of Duke? No. Was it Brad Kaya who was struggling at the time and had a lot of injuries on the Miami team? Is it Eric Dungy of Syracuse? I mean, would you say Gerard Evans is better than as as good as or better than any of those quarterbacks? I think it's I think it's somewhat that I, I agree with your point and it's well taken. I think the point is is that when I I think they were all pretty highly recruited guys and People have a decent amount of confidence that they are going to be great. And right now they aren't, but they're improving. And at any given time through your tenure, you can flip the switch and things can start to gel. And people are feeling like this is a secondary that can gel. But they also, to your point, haven't really been tested that much in in the last couple games that they've played. And before that, they weren't tested, but they they were extremely young at that time. So... This will be a game for them that they get to prove their merit of whether they are actually improving. But, yeah, absolutely. I would put Gerard Evans up there at probably the top. I'm trying to go through their schedule. Michigan State was garbage now that we've learned that. And they're, they obviously, Connor Cook is gone. Yeah, they really haven't played anybody at, at the quarterback position that's been that that good so i think this is the game that they're going to get tested it's it's dungy it's kaya and it's jones those are the three best quarterbacks they've played and dungy put up you know syracuse put up 33 miami put up 27 jones put up 38 now jones was before the the changeover so maybe you want to knock 10 points off that total but they're still right around 30 for all three of those guys and I think Drew Tranquil, the safety in the back, he he's a solid good player. You know, forty-one solo tackles for him, and Dante Vaughn, the freshman cornerback, six pass breakups. You know, he's putting up stats, has an interception. If Evans is on track passing the football, which he seemed to get on track at the end of the Georgia Tech game, now it's hard to say because a lot of them were shorter passes. If he's playing the way 
we're used to seeing him play, I think he can do some damage against this secondary. Yeah. But maybe, you know, the fact that Julian Love got an interception against an option quarterback, maybe we should just be patting him on the back a ton. <laughs> yeah. I, there's also Cole, – I, I think Cole Luke is still playing. He has a couple interceptions. Um, and I think – sadly, I think he's leading the team in interceptions with, with two. Um, that's that's not really, you know, mind-blowing stats. I, I agree with you. I, I just – now after seeing Georgia Tech was not a good defense – I the fact is is these days in college football you you never know what's going to happen and with the amount of talent that Notre Dame brings in they're not bringing in schleps that they're just sticking in on the defensive side of the ball and if you compared this defense to the Georgia Tech defense in terms of talent level what they were coming in were being recruited etc you would say that this is a much better defense. I mean, that's just that's just fact. That you know, in terms of talent level, everything, recruiting, and somehow they came out it's, and Georgia Tech had better. a game. Yeah, it's it's far better. And you're right. The worst defense can play you really tough. We saw it against Syracuse and GT. And sometimes the better defenses don't play you as tough. The linebackers scare the crap out of me, and for what that means for what our play design and just our game plan in general. I'm not really sure because I think we can run on the outside on this team a little bit, but how quickly Morgan and Anwalu get sideline to sideline, it could be very much like the Duke game in that respect. And it could just be the same kind of thing where Gerard Evans has to pull it down and do the, the quarterback scrambling a million times. And he just will keep it on all those option plays. I don't think it's going to be pretty, man. I, I he needs to be he needs to play his best passing game because that I I feel like that's our only shot to put up a good amount of points in this game. Couldn't agree more. And I need to figure out in this game what happened the last two games when things did not look right for Gerard Evans and whether it's. Some pressure here or there, whether it's lingering a little bit of pain off of off of the foot that you know his people were talking about you know his footwork in the passing game, and one of them that overthrow on one of his passes that was a five yard overthrow, I think to Isaiah Ford, you can see that he never got on his back foot the The announcer called it out, but there was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was not passing the way that he had been in all the games leading up to that there's something not clicking there and to your point I think we need to come out and it's going to be a slugfest and I think this game is more important than ever that we establish ourselves early than wait until the second quarter to turn things on I'm getting tired of this whole situation where we're just trying to be patient let's come out and at least get a first down or two first downs, or, you know, in the first, we don't have to score, but, and then be better in the red zone. I had the red zone has been abysmal for us. And guess what? If they have, if we're worried about their linebackers, that's trouble for us because we haven't shown the ability to attack the secondary in the red zone thus far. We maybe have attempted to, but the red zone offense for us has been getting worse and it needs to be getting better. 
and I'm not seeing it in the trend of the last few games compared to what we were doing early in the season. And those linebackers could create hell for us in, in short yarded situations where you don't have a long field to work with. That fast start thing is it's more crucial than ever because if you've paid attention to Notre Dame, you know they have a tendency to start fast and then end slow mm-hmm. and you know sometimes fade down the stretch. If they start fast and we start slow, that is not a good combination, man. We we cannot afford to get down by a couple scores in this game. We just can't. With the way the offense is playing right now, I have little confidence that we can win if we're down by two touchdowns in South Bend, a tough place to play. So you're right. More than ever, we need some first first quarter points. We need a for, first quarter touchdown. And I venture to say if we don't get it, we won't win. Yep, I agree with that. We, we, can't, we can't afford any turnovers. I mean, maybe one, maybe one turnover. But if we give up two or more, we're also not going to win. What? I don't like dealing in absolutes, but I just think this is just too clear to me. Like we we need to play well from the beginning, and we need to turn the ball over one or less times, or there's just no chance for us. Well, we learned our lesson after the Tennessee game, you know, and after the Liberty game, we protected the football for what five games in a row, skipping Syracuse where we had a couple that. But it's it's about you know Gerard Evans. If he doesn't see it, that's fine. Then. Throw it out of bounds, right? Don't force the pass. Find your find your spots to take a deep shot. Build it up with the screen passes. Build it up with the short passes. Get your confidence. Throw the defense off, and then you know take your shots. But there's no reason to force it in in any of these games. And we saw what happens when he forces a couple passes in this last one, and literally doubles his interception count in one game. I think my other thing for this is, you know, they're they're trending up. They're probably feeling a little bit better than they were, and we're probably not feeling that great. And like I said early on, Fuente needs to find a way to motivate this team, whether it's the location that we're in South Bend, whether it's the fact that find a reason that upsetting them in this game means something. And that's something that's important. Georgia Tech came out, and they knew if they won – you know, that was a game to lock the ACC you know, ACC championship for us. You think that wasn't getting said in the locker room? Find a way to motivate your players, especially in a game that really doesn't matter in any way, shape, or form. Tell them, hey, we want to go into South Bend. Tell them something. Get them riled up. Get Terrell and Tremaine riled up to go out there and destroy people. Get people motivated to, in there because we looked – really good in that fourth quarter. Granted, it was garbage time, but the team looked like they actually had energy in some of that third and fourth quarter. We looked like absolute poop, and I'm not going to use curse words anymore so we can keep this not explicit on on the podcast, but we we looked not energetic, not excited, like we didn't even want to be there at home in front of a sellout crowd. Get it together. 